0: This is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. In this episode, we'll explore a new fantasy world of dragons with with its author and creator. And then we'll go to the very real world at a micro level as we learn about the world of parasites. Hi, today we have Rosemary Drisdell. She has her first book, Follow the Shadows, The Tales of Morden." Don't Be Confused with Mordor, (laughs) and that that is book number one. So obviously, we'll talk about this. This is a series. But my first question is, you also write about parasites, right? That's right. So how how do you go from parasites to writing fantasy? Although I do say that you would like to meet a dragon in real life. (laughs)
1: That's right. I think it's really a mixture of, a number of things that I'm very interested in. I've always been a keen fantasy reader. Uh, I've been a writer since I was young, you know, in junior high school. And I had a fascination with reptiles as a child. And but also I, I came from a sciency family. So I had a career as a medical laboratory technologist. And uh, by the end of my time there in the lab, I had specialized in parasites. So it's just all of those things coming together that mm. that finally produced a, a fantasy book that has dragons and parasites.
0: More sci-fi talk, so stay tuned. <laughs> there you go. Well, mm-hmm. we'll talk about the, the parasite side of your studies in a, in a bit, but let's get to the, you know, the fall of the shadows. Kind of tell us a little bit about the uh, story. Unfortunately, I wasn't given a lot as to what it's about Ah. but this way you can tell our listeners too and this way they can get interested in it
1: sure the story is about a, a young teenage girl who has she's she thinks of herself as wiccan but she she's only beginning her wiccan practice so she's still learning and in trying to acquire a crystal ball that she can practice with she accidentally acquires something that's quite different and when she tries to use it as a crystal ball it catapults her into we'll call it an alternate world people might debate about whether it's part of our world like another level of our world or another world but anyway it's certainly not home and when she arrives in this other world the first thing she encounters is dragons So she has to learn to navigate uh, the relationships with dragons. Some of them are friendly. Some of them are distinctly unfriendly. And of course, they have problems of their own. So in the beginning, she's very kind of focused on herself. She's focused on how can I get home? Uh, But as time unfolds and she gets to know the dragons better, she finds that, that the dragons have a serious issue that she... Might and probably can help with, and so her focus changes from just uh, being totally focused on trying to get home to helping the dragons before she goes home, and uh, and that that's the
0: story. Interesting. Is there a a force that's preventing her from doing her job, so to speak?
1: Well, yes. There there is, of course, uh, a particularly nasty dragon who um, is intent on killing her. Um, there's also the fact that she's, she's limited in, uh, how to say this, she, the, the crystal ball that took her there goes missing. Oh. And, so, and so, she doesn't have it. So, that limits not only what she can do, but limits her ability to go home. She needs that to go home. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, there are, there are a number of um, obstacles that she has to deal with. Wild mm-hmm. animals and nasty dragons and that sort of thing.
0: Well, you said that there's parasites there, too. So did you create your own?
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> not exactly. Uh, and here I, I go back to the, the parasite book that I had written. There was a, an interesting story that I related in that book about a parasite that was accidentally introduced to the caribou of Newfoundland. And that happened when reindeer were brought to Newfoundland and and uh, left on the island. They brought a parasite with them, which pretty much wiped out the native caribou on the island. Wow. Uh, and so I modified that parasite. So I didn't create it in, completely, but it's the same kind of story, um, a, a parasite that's been intro- introduced to the world of Morden and it's killing the dragons.
0: We mm-hmm. oh, answered another question. Morden is the alternate world that she goes to? That's it. That's right. Cool. So this is book one. So as far as, obviously, there's going to be more. Is this a trilogy or you kind of like playing so much in this world, you might want to stay there a while?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I can see many opportunities for offshoots from my story. You know, prequels, sequels, the, the story of various characters that turn up. I think the possibilities are endless. Um, I may not have enough time to write them all.
0: This is book one. Is this a trilogy to start?
1: I think it's a trilogy to start, yes.
0: Did you ever think about maybe doing, some authors do this, where they do two books instead?
1: Actually, yes. Uh, the The story of the third book hasn't dropped on me yet. So uh, the second book is well underway. But the third one, I'm not so sure how that one will work. So maybe, maybe not.
0: Now, as far as uh, this trilogy, if it, if it does happen, I, I probably it will happen because when we're talking to you, it sounds like the world is so rich, two books probably would not do it justice. If you do other sequels, would they be a separate story not related to this one? Does the third book end her story pretty much?
1: Well, as I said, the third book really hasn't shown itself to me yet but the second book certainly continues her story without wanting to give too much away. There's a couple of, the first book rounds up kind of neatly at the end, but there are a couple of big questions hanging out there. And they're particularly big questions for Maurice, who is my my protagonist. Uh, So the second story, the second book is at least partly about her resolving these big questions.
0: So are you working on that now or is it finished?
1: No, I'm working on it now.
0: So when you get to the end of of that, some authors will let the story take them someplace rather than plotting too much out. Although sometimes you can have like a little roadmap and then you can take little detours along the way too, but you still get to your destination. How is it for you for the second book?
1: Yes, it's like that. And it was like that for the first book as well. You sort of have an idea of where you're going. You have a a general idea of the plot, but things reveal themselves to you as you're going along. You suddenly have this epiphany and say, oh, well, of course, that's why. Things like that, as well as characters, can be quite um, stubborn and insistent on being what they want to be.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's another. Actually, I was talking to another author about this, um, where the characters kind of uh, talk to you and say, hey, This is my turn now. You know, it's like, this is what I want. Did that happen to you? It sounds like it did.
1: Yes. Yes. That happens to me all the time. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's really wild. And they probably don't talk to you at the most opportune times.
1: (laughs) Often while I'm sleeping.
0: (laughs) Do you dream about that? Do you Uh, dream about your book? I,
1: I wake up in the morning suddenly understanding something about the story that I didn't quite get before. Yeah. Okay.
0: Another thing, uh, you, you, I mean, you, you're building a world. Did you do that first or did you kind of build the characters first and then as they went into Morden, kind of build it around them?
1: Yes, the second one. As oh, okay. things happened, the, uh, the geography of the world and the details of the world revealed
0: themselves. Yeah. Any surprises to you? Well,
1: I would say one of the surprises is that I had to leave some of them out. Mm. And so they're there waiting for me to come back. Perhaps in the second book, maybe I can come back to those places and those those creatures and those plants and things which, which I had to leave behind.
0: Now, there's a a picture of a lovely dragon on the cover. Did you have in your mind a view of what the dragons look like? And if so, is that on the cover close to what you were looking for.
1: Yes, I definitely did have um, a mental image of what the dragons look like. And the dragon on the cover fits that, I would say, 90%. Really? Yes, it's very close. And actually, the artist that designed the cover for me was wonderful to work with and responded to my my requests, make the dragon a little bit bigger you know, make the sphere a little bit rounder, those kinds of things. Uh, He he was really great.
0: And as far as dragons in this world, uh, are there different variety of dragons, like we see in the Harry Potter series, for example?
1: Yeah. No, they are all the same, shall we be geeky and say species, all the same species of dragon.
0: Kind of tease us a little bit about their powers. Is it just the old, you know, flame out kind of thing, or do they do other things? (laughs) Um, well,
1: my dragons are—they're intelligent. They are not necessarily evil. You know, I—I've I, always loved dragons, but I like the friendly ones a little bit more than the totally evil ones. So, my dragons are—they're at least capable of being friendly and and social. Mm-hmm. They communicate with each other telepathically. They—they they have this. It, it'll almost think of it like an adjunct to their brain except it's at the end of their tail and mm-hmm. it looks like a crystal ball oh. they communicate with each other through the crystal ball uh, and they can also communicate with humans through the crystal ball oh. and so there isn't a problem with translation of language it's uh, it tra- it sort of automatically translates as it's moving through the crystal ball from one person to another so and they can also uh, communicate using imagery. Oh, so wow. They can send pictures of what they're thinking about and, and not just language. Wow. Cool. Yeah. The, the crystal balls, are the, well, I shouldn't call them crystal balls, they're spheres, tail spheres. And they also are a source of light. And oh they're God. also a source of um, remote viewing. So they can imagine, they can Um, visually um, think about some place they know some place they've been and they can look and see what's going on there now so they can kind of spy on each other but they're not if they're doing that they're not spying on the dragon they're they're looking at the place and when Uh they look at the place where that dragon is that dragon has an immediate sense of being watched so it's not like they can kind of spy secretly and um, the the, uh, the spying is is evident to everyone, which is kind of fun because you can, you know, you can tease your friends and make people uncomfortable by, by yeah. looking at them <laughs> wow. and making them squirm. Mm.
0: So, it, it, I mean, it's very rich description of not only the dragons, but the spheres. So as you were writing it, did those ideas kind of come and you developed it as you wrote kind of thing rather than like mapping it all out?
1: There is a a chapter in the book where Maryse is trying to understand the spheres and um, a sort of elder female dragon spells it all out for her. Uh-huh. And that was the point at which I fully understood as as that female dragon is saying, this is what you can do and this is what you can't do. Um, that, that's when I really understood. But one thing I didn't mention was that like I said, they're kind of like an extra brain. And so for the dragons, the idea that someone is walking around with one of these brains is very offensive. You know, uh-huh. I mean, it would be like a human walking around with another human brain and saying, look what I can do with this. So oh. they, they do not like the idea that these spheres are useful to humans as a, as a separate kind of um, tool.
0: That's interesting obviously it brings up a lot of different issues <laughs> if yeah. it was a human thing it would be ethically it would be a lot of different issues coming up absolutely there. yeah so the second book how far along are you? I'm about a third of the way through okay so pretty mm-hmm. pretty early in the process at this point yes
1: yes uh, there's a lot more in my head but it just hasn't hit the page yet
0: I have more sci-fi talk coming up so stay with me So does it pick up right after the end of the first or does it maybe time jump a little?
1: It's about a year, uh, a bit more than a year after the end of the first.
0: Oh, fantastic. So, yeah, let's let's talk about your work with parasites. I I mean, we all have them actually in our system already. That's right. I mean, they're not the harmful ones. I mean, they can be good and they can be bad like anything. Right. Um, What's our biggest misconception about them?
1: Oh, I think you just said it. The biggest misconception is that parasites are all bad and, and that, you know, we want to avoid them at all costs. But actually, one of the points that I make in my book is that they're a very important part of life on this earth and without them, well, there wouldn't be life on this earth. You know, they're important. Um, People do think they're horrific and some of them are horrific. I'm not going to argue otherwise. But many of them are not all that horrific, and uh, and they're extremely interesting. If people could just set aside their their the yuck factor and look at the the creature itself, I think they would be just absolutely amazed, mm-hmm. amazed at at the ways that these uh, organisms, you know, make their way in the world, the things that they do, and the the power that they have to change things. It's wow. uh, fascinating, really fascinating.
0: What's the most common one, would you say?
1: Well, now, you probably have a big debate amongst parasitologists about that <laughs> one. Um, you know, you, people say, well, this is the most common worm, and this is the most common protozoan. Uh, I don't know if it's a question that's really possible to answer, but let me go here. Everybody, everybody over about the age of 18 and possibly younger has mites living on their forehead. So that obviously, from a human perspective, is extremely common and harmless. Really? Oh, yes. wow! They, they live in your hair follicles, and they come out at night and walk around on your forehead, and eventually <laughs> go home. Wow. <Yeah. laughs> I never knew that. <laughs> Didn't wow. know about that one, eh? <laughs> well, I'll
0: tell you, they are not getting a lot of a lot of traction over. <laughs> They—they
1: um, probably—they probably find that a, a lovely playground.
0: Uh, I guess they do yeah it's a whole nother world I'm sure I mean it we only it's just it's all perspective and you know it's very different that's really wild that's really really wild I never knew that um so this book is Parasites tales of humanity's most unwelcome guests and
1: uh, that's right that's it that's really that's really cool yeah and the character on the front cover is a
0: A bed, that's a bed bug. Well, I've yes. dealt with those. Those are not nice. You,
1: those, you probably didn't didn't see them in, in quite the same way. When you no, I did them.
0: not. It no. was it, my wife and I had a heck of a time. It's the basic thing. Uh, somebody went on a trip. They um, they brought them back with them, and then apparently they did some work, and they drilled a hole in their wall, so the bed bugs went from there. And they found our way towards our bed. And we had to have, first, we had these amazing dogs that actually find them. He found them. And then we had to like fumigate the place. Yeah. And then after that, they were gone. But yeah. it was brutal. And I mean, yeah. you can't sleep. They're just all over you. They're terrible. They're yeah. terrible. So yeah. that's a very bad parasite. <laughs> uh,
1: well, yes, it is. For yeah. sure.
0: One thing I always like to ask authors and and you have those two books is ebooks, that whole phenomenon has just opened up the world to a lot of people. instead of carrying both your books, they just can carry their Kindle or phone or whatever and they have it all at their fingertips. What's right. your feeling on on ebooks and and that whole thing?
1: Well, I'm, I'm fine with people reading ebooks. I think it's great. Myself, I really love to have a book in my hand. I yeah. much prefer to, to hold a book and to read it. And I don't find it quite as engaging to hold a device to read a book. But I know that younger people in particular are much more comfortable with that and, and more power to them. It's great.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I love the tactile experience of the book. And when, the, when if you read it a lot, you're binding and everything, you know, little things like that. You know, I, yes. I love that. But obviously, when you travel, that's not always the best. You know, you, you're, you're especially with the regulations, you can't carry too much in your luggage anymore. Right. So, yes. you know, an e book is, or just even on your phone is a good alternative for me. Yeah. But Very if great. I'm at home, I, I don't read much, but when I do, I do like a book. You know, I do like it. So that, that's cool. What about an audio book of your book? Have you ever considered that?
1: I thought I was thinking about that just last night and I'm checking my my publisher's contract, you know, to see what it says about that. That That is a possibility out there, an audio book. So we'll see. Uh, yeah, that could be something in the future.
0: There are a lot of uh, really good narrators out there. And they're really more than that. They're performers, too. They perform the book as well as read it from a narration standpoint. And uh, there are a lot of companies that do that and do an amazing job and every author that's had an audiobook will tell me what surprises them is how their performance uh, brings out things in the book they didn't realize were there yes so, i can uh,
1: see that
0: yeah i would i would highly recommend you explore that
1: yes i i shall i definitely do intend to
0: because again people can carry it around and listen to it on their phones and you know, or their device. Uh, you know, it's just very easy. And if you're like working out, or just even going on a hike, and you need a distraction a little bit, don't recommend doing it during driving. But uh, but uh, at least with <laughs> a headset, say. <laughs> yeah not not with a headset, but in your car, otherwise fine. You know, especially on long drives, it can be a nice companion, and you can kind of escape you know, the road signs and all that for a little yes. bit. Yes,
1: yeah, I do know people who listen to audiobooks while they're driving. Yeah,
0: yeah it's a great, great phenomenon. So as far as the, um, the second book, when do you think that'll be ready?
1: Um, you know, one also always sets a short timeline. I have a number of other things that compete for my time, so I would like to say it will be finished by the end of the year. Okay, good.
0: Yeah. Very good. And then by then you'll know if there's room enough for a third.
1: Yes, I, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, presumably by the end of the second, if there are more questions to be answered, they will have presented
0: themselves. Awesome. That sounds great. Yeah. Rosemary Drisdell, thank you so much for being on the podcast and talking about your books. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is really, really cool. Best of luck to you, and uh, great to talk to you again. Take care. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. All right, same here. Look for her book, Follow the Shadows, wherever you get your books. Thanks for listening. I'm Tony Gelato.